Father God, um, how good it is once again to be uh, gathered here to sing your praises, to be encouraged um, through the words of these songs um, that just really grow us and anchor our faith uh, in the wonderful hope uh, that is found in Jesus alone. Uh, thank you for your word, uh, your precious um, scriptures that re reveal Jesus, that reveal your great plans and purposes for your world and for your people and reveal you, who you are. We pray that uh, we learn more um, about who you are today. Please transform um, not only our, our thinking but our hearts. Please change us at the deepest level and transform us um, more and more for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Naomi. The Bible reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit and to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still, another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Naomi. Uh, it's great to be together again, friends. Um, I just wanted to, before we get to that passage, give a very quick update. A few people have been asking about the Gula group that we've started up on Sunday afternoons. It was a really encouraging time last week. There are about 20 of us there. Uh, and so do pray for that. Our deep desire for that is it will be a place where um, especially those who are not yet Christians or not in a church can come and encounter Jesus in his word uh, and in that community there. So um, do keep praying for that. And if you have uh, people who you think you might uh, like to bring along to that, perhaps who live in the area, uh, that'd be great too. You can ask me about it later. Okay, but back to 1 Corinthians. As Steve mentioned, we're, look, we're reading through this uh, wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul to this church with a lot of dysfunction in uh, this city of Corinth. Um, but before we get to it, I wanted to ask the question, are you a spiritual person? 
Are you a spiritual person? Uh, maybe, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear that question. What images or things that come to mind? It's a question lots of people think about. Uh, a lot has been made um, about the decline of religion in Australia, right? You often hear that, especially around census time. But what's interesting is that that decline in sort of ticking the box of belonging to a kind of formal recognised religion, that hasn't resulted in a kind of sudden upswing of atheism, not by any account. It seems like more and more people are adopting a kind of folk DIY spirituality, um, what I call it. Uh, so a recent survey showed that un- just under 70% of Australians agree that faith and spirituality are a key element of their identity. And the younger generations are actually leading the way in this. Uh, So there's a group called McCrindle, who you might have heard of. They have looked into this. They found that 41% of Gen Z were having spiritual conversations compared with just 13% of baby boomers. That's interesting. 61% of Gen Z regularly think, think about the meaning of life. Z, why am I saying Z? That's so American. Gen Z, apologies. Uh, 61% of Gen Z are, having, um, are thinking about the meaning of life compared with just 34% of baby boomers. So the younger generations seem to be leading the way in this quest for spiritual meaning. Uh, and I think you can see this closer to home. I googled in the week, I just googled Victor Harbour uh, spiritual uh, just to see what would come up. There's a whole range of options. You can go to the Psychic Fair up in McLaren Vale, uh, get an introduction to transcendental meditation. You can book in with a spiritualist who claims to be able to talk to the dead. Uh, you can have a bit of mysticism thrown in with your massage therapy. The options are plenty, and plenty of people are taking them up. So, but what does it mean to be a spiritual person? What does it mean for us, actually? What about for us as a church? What would it mean for a church to be a spiritual church? Occasionally I get asked that. Are we a spiritual church? It's not always clear to me what people mean when they ask that. But it's a question that can, can, can cause a fair bit of angst and confusion, especially when we start comparing ourselves with each other or other groups or churches or with the culture around us. Especially, I think it's very possible to start thinking that there's kind of two classes of Christians. The second class, ordinary, boring plotters like me, and then the truly spiritual ones. The ones who have some special source, you know, some closer connection to God. And something like that was going on in this church in Corinth. Um... Along the way, Paul's been addressing, if you've been with us, you'll know he's been addressing, addressing all these issues that have cropped up in this church. He's heard on the grapevine about a bunch of, of, of very concerning reports of stuff happening in the church, about factions developing, about sexual immorality, and he spends the first half of his letter addressing those, stuff that they haven't told him but he's heard from other people. Uh, but it seems that the, uh, uh, he says in chapter 7 that the Corinthians actually had written to him And they've asked their own questions. They've brought their own issues. And so basically the second half of his letter, he he talks about those issues that the Corinthians themselves have raised. Uh, So that's why he says in verse 1, I think you've got the passage there. Be helpful to have that in front of you as we work through it. Uh, He says in verse 1, Now about, 
when Paul says that, it's usually he's, he's responding to their issue. So he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So this is an issue they've asked him about. Um, if you've got a study Bible or maybe some translations, you might see a note that the word gifts isn't actually there in the original Greek that this is uh, written in. Paul literally says, now about the spirituals. doesn't translate too well into English. That's why translators have gone for the spiritual gifts. It's fine. Uh, but it could mean this, just the spiritual stuff that's going on or the, the experiences they've written to him about. It could be one of the factions in the church, now about the spiritual group. Um, but it, as I said, it's, you know, you, the tra translators have to make a call about this, how to you know, put it across. It's not a, not a problem. But there's an important thing Paul's doing here that it is helpful to see. So just hold on to that. We're going to come back to it shortly. Just hold on to that, that thought. But notice too, it is possible for these Christians in Corinth to be uninformed about spiritual things. Uh, later on in, in chapter 14, Paul urges this, this church to stop thinking like children. He says, in regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So there is no conflict between thinking hard and carefully and being a spiritual person. In fact, that's precisely what a truly spiritual person will do. They won't just go along with their culture or even their personal experience. They'll seek to be mature in their thinking, to be rightly formed by the word of God. So what is it about spirituals, about spiritual stuff that Paul really wants this church to know? Um, there was a whole world of spiritual experience out there for the Corinthians. Um, they lived in a highly spiritual culture. So Corinth was this city, uh, if you've been with us, you'll know this, it was a city captivated um, by spiritual power and great worldly wisdom. Uh, people would lap up the, the next impressive speaker who'd come to town or the latest spectacular miracle worker they were enamoured by this. Uh, the temples in Corinth, they had a wide range of spiritual practices uh, and at times really ecstatic and chaotic and intense. And, and that's actually what Paul reminds them of in verse 2. If you look at verse 2 there, he reminds them of that sort of background that they've come from. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. It's not nice to be led astray, is it? To be sort of taken in by counterfeits. Happens all the time. I got a text message yesterday saying, your vehicle registration has been suspended. Pay your overdue toll invoice immediately to remove the limitation at link to grab all my personal details. <laughs> Apparently, Australians lost almost half a billion dollars to scams in the first nine months of last year. That's massive, isn't it? Incredible. Uh, and uh, apparently also on, on average we get five email or text message scam attempts each week. So each person. That's, uh, that's how prevalent this is. You, you, lots of us will know that. 
the thing about counterfeit scams is that they look a lot. They, they look like the real thing, don't they? They can, unless you really know what you're looking for. Um, so the Corinthians had previously been led astray. They'd been taken in by a counterfeit spirituality. They'd been led astray to mute idols. But the one true and living God is not a mute idol. He is a speaking God. And they had heard his voice when Paul had come to them and proclaimed the weak and foolish message of the cross. That Christ crucified is the true power and wisdom of God. These people had put their faith in Jesus and they'd come to know the one true God. So it's kind of natural, isn't it? <clears throat> it's natural for this church in Corinth. <clears throat> can someone, can you just bring my water bottle up, Amy? Thanks. Uh, it's natural for this church in Corinth to think, what does all this look like now? Thank you very much. Um, what, is, what does this all look like now that we've come, become Christians? We've, had, uh, we, we've come from a culture of deep spiritual experience. What, is, how, what does it mean now for us, uh, now that we've come to know the one true and living God? And Paul's fundamental answer to that is in verse 3, I think, the next verse along. He says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one could say, can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Here is the true, sure mark that the Holy Spirit of God is powerfully at work. Paul says true, holy spirituality is all about Jesus and what you make of him. It's all about confessing his lordship. <clears throat> so this isn't some magical mantra as if just saying the words Jesus is Lord sort of brings down the Holy Spirit, and you could train a parrot to say that, right? It's saying something much deeper. In a world of spiritual confusion, the, tr the trademark, the kind of stamp of the Holy Spirit, is that he leads people to Jesus, to confess him as their Lord, to live under his lordship. That is the Spirit's delight, his great joy to do that. That is his spectacular, miraculous, breathtaking work to bring people out of darkness and into light, to, to give life to those who are spiritually dead through the gospel. Um, one great author, J.I. Packer, many of us will know him, um, he talks about this. He uses an illustration of a floodlight on a building. He says the Holy Spirit's distinctive new covenant role is like being a floodlight, shining on Jesus. Uh, listen to this quote from a really helpful book of his on this topic. Uh, he says, it is, as if, it is as if the Spirit stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder on Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message is never... Look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him, see his glory, listen to him and hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. 
So this is just very helpful for us, I think, friends. If you want to know whether something is truly from the Spirit of the Holy God, then ask the question, does it lead me to Jesus? Does it lead me to Jesus? And not just to Jesus as an inspiration, uh, not even just to Jesus as my saviour. He will do that. But see what's in focus here. He will lead you to Jesus as your Lord, as the one you entrust your life to, the one to whom you live in thankful obedience. And all of that means, friends, I think this is really uh, great news and actually freeing kind of news. All of that means is if you're a Christian, if you have come to put your faith in Christ, then you are a spiritual person. <laughs> you are more spiritual than the most profound self-help guru who doesn't acknowledge Jesus. You really are. You might not look it, but you are more spiritual than that. You are just as spiritual as the most devout missionary. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul's getting at in this passage. There's no second-class citizens. Because that was the issue going on in Corinth. People were, were, they were setting up different classes in the church based around the different spiritual experiences they were, that were happening there, different factions. And I think that's why Paul goes on to talk about these spiritual things in verse 4. So have a look at verse 4. And he gives them this beautiful name. This is why I think it's helpful to, to know that at the start he doesn't use this word. Um, he, he changes, he goes from what I think was the Corinthians word for what was going on, the spirituals. He changes it to a much richer and gospel-soaked word. He calls them gifts. Gifts. Or in the Greek, charismata. That's where we get the word charismatic from. Uh, and it's the same basic kind of root word as our word for grace. Grace. So verse 4, there are different kinds of charismata, gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Uh, I'm told that as far as we can tell, Paul was the first person to use this word, charismata, gifts, to talk about the kind of skills and talents that we have. Um, we're so used to it, right? It's sort of just part of our language. We talk about someone as being gifted. It's easy for us, I think, to miss how revolutionary this was, actually. Uh, Paul is taking these spiritual experiences people were having, these impressive abilities that in the culture of Corinth were seen as kind of possessions, uh, things to puff yourself up with. And he totally upturns them. He puts them in the category of gift, of free, undeserved grace. They're not something you have because you've earned them or because you're somehow more special than anyone else. They're also not something that you can manipulate or control or something that you can work up 
through elaborate techniques or rituals or experiences. That was what the pagans did in Corinth. They are gifts, gifts of grace from a sovereign and holy God. See what Paul's doing? See, the Corinthians think the praise and honour should go to the spiritual person. Paul is saying the praise goes to the giver of the gifts, to the God from whom all blessings flow. And you notice in these verses too how every member of the Trinity is at work together in what's going on here. Uh, Verse 4, it's the same Spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord. It's another way of talking about Jesus. Verse 6, the same God, talking about God the Father. It's helpful to notice that because sometimes the Holy Spirit gets talked about as if he's doing some kind of different thing. He's sort of on his own track, independent from the Father and the Son. But that can't be right, friends. The one triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, works in perfect unity to achieve his good purpose in the gospel and he delights to give his gifts of grace to his people. Delights to give his gifts. And it is to all his people, not a select few. It is to all his people in a really rich and diverse way. That's what Paul goes on to talk about. Um, But notice first the purpose God gives these gifts for. And this is really crucial. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation or maybe the kind of the evidence, the outworking of the Spirit is given, why? For the common good. For the common good. And that I think that really is the key point Paul's making. This is what the Corinthians had forgotten. They were becoming obsessed with certain gifts, especially the gift of tongues. And this was creating divisions in the church. And Paul says, that go, to do that goes totally against the whole purpose of these gifts which is for the common good, the good of the body, the church. Uh, Friends, I think one of the ways our culture has impacted us as Christians is through the rise, and we're we're kind of all aware of this, I think, the rise of individualism and consumerism. Um, So uh, it's kind of natural in our sort of culture for us to be just reluctant to give ourselves to one another we can hold back from getting involved or serving. We can, we can see church more as an event where we receive a product than a living body that we are a part of and serving in. Or on the other extreme, um, this individualism kind of can play itself out in a different way. The other extreme, we can see our gifts as a kind of personal entitlement. So I'm gifted this way and I must be recognised so I can express myself and fulfill my potential. I think it's just helpful to see that the Corinthian culture was in many ways very similar to ours. And we've seen this all through the letter. They were saying similar kind of things. I have the right to do anything. Remember that? I'm free. And how does Paul respond? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Whatever you do, do it all, not for your own glory, but for the glory of God and the good of others. And when it comes to these gifts of God's grace, 
They are not given for yourself. They are given for the common good. So here's, I think this is a really helpful thing to take out of this. Here is another authentic mark of the Holy Spirit powerfully at work. So on the one hand, with resurrection power, he breaks through our dead hearts and our blind eyes and enables us to see and treasure Jesus as our Lord. How miraculous. How wonderful. And at the same time, he delights to graciously gift his people in a whole variety of ways so that Jesus' body, the church, might be built up. Um, Two really helpful kind of trademark workings of the Spirit, highlighting Jesus and building up his church. Uh, Paul goes on to list some of these gifts, these charismata, uh, it's, it's not an exhaustive list. We know that because there are four other lists in the New Testament and all of them are different. And even in this letter, he's talked about other gifts. So this, I found this quite interesting. Back in chapter 7, he talks about both being married and being single as charisma, as gifts of grace. Um, so th- th- I think what we have here is just a little taste of the incredible variety of gifts that God gives to his people. And maybe we could think of many others, God's gift of encouragement, of prayer, of kids' ministry, of graphic design, of hospitality, of pastoral care or welcoming, of floor sweeping and chair stacking, and on and on and on. See, and one of the difficulties for us as we read these lists, one of the difficulties is we're really just, we're not really sure exactly what each of these charismata really did look like in this church in Corinth. Uh, Paul doesn't tell us, he doesn't go in, he doesn't actually describe what they are, he doesn't define them, and that's okay actually because the main point is not the gifts themselves but how they're used. That's what we've been talking about, how they're used for the common good. But I'll I'll quickly run through them and um, uh, just give a, a few thoughts tentatively held And you might have other ideas that you'd like to chat about. That's fine. Um, But verse 8, there's this message of wisdom and this message of knowledge. Uh, Paul's already talked a lot about wisdom and knowledge earlier in this letter. And he's told us about how it's all about the cross of Christ as the wisdom and power of God. Um, Seeing that only comes by the Spirit. So I, I think that perhaps these, these are messages of true cross-shaped wisdom and right knowledge that only come through the Spirit of God, not through the wisdom and knowledge of this world. Uh, you, you read on the, in verse 9, there's faith. Now that seems a bit strange to us because isn't faith what all Christians uh, have, that you kind of, you're saved by faith? Uh, we all need faith. But there does seem to be some particular gift of faith, uh, a gift God gives to, to trust him in a really deep and profound way, I think especially through suffering and hardship. Uh, then it says gifts of healing, or gifts of healings, literally. Uh, this, I don't think this is talking about someone who has the gift of healing, kind of like a faith healer. I, I don't think we actually see that anywhere in the New Testament. It, it says gifts of healings. 
not the gift of being a healer. What's in view here is that God, at times, according to his own good purpose, gives gifts of special healing, of unexpected relief and restoration. Uh, Then in verse 10, miraculous powers, literally mighty works, uh, possibly in this context, the driving out of demons in a pagan culture. Uh, That's that's, uh, one one possibility. And then it says prophecy. Now, this is going to come up later in chapter 14, so we'll talk more about it then. But just very quickly, I take take it that prophecy is something like a spirit-inspired application of God's word to a particular situation. A spirit-inspired word into a particular situation that applies the word given uh, with great insight and power that comes from the spirit. More about that later. Um, then distinguishing between spirits, which probably the weighing of that prophecy that he's just talked about, the weighing of it against God's word. Uh, then last of all, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Again, we'll think about this more in a few weeks in chapter 14. Uh, the term literally means that sort of wobbly thing in your mouth, like the fleshy thing. That, it literally means that. But it was used figuratively, of course, to talk about languages. Um, So God, by his spirit, gave this gift of being able to speak other kinds of languages. Now, there's lots of debate. Many of us will be familiar with that. There's lots of, and hold different views uh, about what those languages were. Uh, Are they other human languages that people were miraculously enabled to speak, like you see in Acts 2? Or angelic languages? Or perhaps both? Uh, we, we can be confident that they were not languages the people gathered there understood, the people of Corinth understood, because they needed translation, they needed interpretation. That's the, the other gift that's there. And you find out in ver- chapter 14 that this was the one the Corinthians prized above all others, this gift. Um, it's not accidental that Paul puts it here at the end of the list, At the end of the list, he's making a kind of subtle point there. And notice, too, how all the way through he highlights that it's the one spirit, the same spirit who gives all this wide variety of gifts. That's how Paul ends in verse 11 there. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Do you see his points? The Corinthians were wrong to elevate tongues above all others. It was just one manifestation of the Spirit among a rich variety, all given by the one and the same Spirit, all to make Jesus known and to build up his church. So that sovereignty of God in his church, I think, is a good place for us to land Um, It's no accident that God has given you to this church and has given you gifts so that together we can make Jesus known and build one another up in love. Love's right at the heart of this, and we'll think about that in a few weeks' time. It's also no accident that 1 Corinthians 13 is right in the middle of these chapters. I think this passage invites us to to be on the lookout for all the varied, 
wonderful ways in which the Spirit is at work in our midst. All the wonderful ways he has gifted this church family. Not to be jealous of someone else's gifts or puffed up and proud at your own, but to rejoice in a diverse people, all working together to see Christ proclaimed as Lord for the good of his church and to ask the question, how then can I build up this church? And we'll think about that a bit more next week. But friends, that's what a Holy Spirit church looks like, according to this passage. Um, and I just want to say, I, I praise God, I thank him all the time that I see his spirit powerfully at work here in our church family, convicting people of sin, leading to repentance and faith in Jesus as Lord, and a community seeking the common good, serving in sometimes obvious ways, often behind-the-scenes ways that nobody else knows about. need to be aware of some of the kind of errors here, but it's right to thank God for his Spirit's work among us and to pray that it continues and deepens, to pray that the breath of God would come sweeping through us so that the love of Christ might revive our church in every part Every part that is here gathered in the name of Christ. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are the giver of gifts. We thank you for the most precious gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Thank you that in him we have forgiveness and new life and hope and peace and joy. Please, our God, magnify Jesus by your spirit in our midst. May we see more of him. Father, we pray that by your spirit we might also use whatever gifts you have given us in your sovereign grace and will. Use whatever gifts you have given us for the common good, for the building up of one another in love so that this place might be a place that clearly shines out your wonderful news. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.